Let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you are here with us today because we are going to be having a wonderful conversation with a new friend from Costa Rica. But before I introduce you to her, I always like to do some shout outs, um, tell people a little bit about us who might be new listeners. So um, first, I want to say if you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band local in Minnesota. And if you like that, you can download it on any of your favorite music platforms. I just find it really uplifting and positive. Uh, For those of you that are new, Alzheimer's Speaks was created because my mom had dementia for 30 years and I wanted to connect people and give them hope and um, connect them to resources, products and tools that I know I was missing on my 30 year journey with with my own mom. And so we want to talk with with real people, have a real conversation. So we talked for about an hour and um, everyone is welcome. On Alzheimer's Speaks. So uh, if you're a child, if you are diagnosed, if you are a family member caring, if you are a researcher, a singer, a songwriter, a movie director, um, a business, an author, uh, we like to hear all voices because we don't think we can make sustainable change unless we are inclusive. So if you have a story to tell or maybe even a a question that you want to discuss, um, reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. I'm going to give a couple of shout outs. What is to Dementia Map, the global resource directory and events calendar that we just uh, launched not too long ago. Lots of great resources on there. It is totally free to use. And if you are someone who has a resource that wants to get into the directory, we have a free program as well as to paid programs, feel free to reach out to me on that or just go to DementiaMap.com. On there, you will find resources like the Memory Cafe directory, which um, houses a listing of memory cafes in five different countries. It lets you know which ones are in person, which ones are still on hold because of COVID, and which ones are virtual or maybe a hybrid of both. And Coral Faith is also um, one of our resources. And Coral Faith is allowing people to download two of their apps free, Music First and Coral um, Coral Faith. So go ahead and check that out. That's C-O-R-O Health dot com. 
Also, I want to give a shout out to Artist Senior Living on August 10th, which is a Tuesday evening. I will be doing an education um, virtual presentation that everyone is welcome to join. It, again, it's free. It's called Conscious Compassionate Care for Care Partners. And during that time, we're going to kind of talk about the underbelly of caregiving and how do you how do you find balance and feel comfortable and, and still find yourself? And you can find information on that. Uh, you can go ahead and register by going to theartistway.com forward slash care. The, and then artist is A-R-T-I-S and then way, W-A-Y.com forward slash care. And then um, I am also going to be part of a international conference that'll be happening November 2nd with uh, Together for Dementia. And you can find information about that on uh, alzheimerspeaks.com. We are gonna hear from the Footbar Walker, which again is a resource on uh, Dementia Map, which is just a fabulous walker, one like no other. And uh, we'll be right back. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle? to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Footbar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Footbar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Footbar Walker. Well, I am really excited to have this conversation today. We are so lucky to have Katia De Luisa with us. She resides in Costa Rica. She is an artist and an author. Um, her book is called Journey Through the Infinite Mind, The Science and Spirituality of Dementia. And I can't wait to talk to her about this. Uh, she is a dementia educator and a freelance writer focused on holistic healthy aging, which uh, is a passion of mine as well. And she gives innovative information on dementia as well. Katia is the president of the nonprofit association Wellbeing During the Golden Years. And she is also the director of Infinite uh, Mind Dementia Project in Costa Rica, which we'll hear more about as well, which is a service organization. And they provide education and workshops, presentations, um, even home safety assessments, caregiver mentoring, which I think is such a huge, huge yeah. need, and advisory information to um, elder care facilities focused on that holistic, healthy aging and dementia care. So so welcome, Katya. I am just thrilled to, to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Lori, for having me on your show. I really, really am excited about this interview. Thank you. 
Well, like I said, I'm excited to have you. I love hearing people from all around the world doing different things. To me, that just, uh, it fills my soul to hear all of the things that are happening. And so it's just a, it's an honor to, to host this show and to raise awareness of other people's work. Um, one of the questions that I ask everybody, uh, Katia, is have you been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends? Actually, no. My mother did get dementia at the end of her life, but she, she was in a nursing home for quite a while before, before she got dementia and it wasn't that bad. Um, I think I, I, got, I got involved with dementia basically by accident because I was doing workshops that are, were focused on um, creating arts programs, expressive arts programs for institutions. And so a nursing home hired me one day a week to come in and create uh, an art program, an all in she said all-inclusive art program, but she didn't tell me that 90% of her residents had dementia. And uh, at the time, I didn't know anything about dementia. I had been working for 15 years in, in Central America with street children. I had a program for street children here. And um, so I said, well, listen, I really don't know a whole lot about working with elders. Uh, she says, well, I like your work philosophy and I think you could, you could create something for us. And so uh, I went there one day a week to create an all-inclusive art program that they could, they could incorporate into their um, uh, activities program. Wow, so was, was the conversation with her really what motivated you to step into this space or was that your first stepping stone and then you decided to go further later? I think that the job, was the stepping stone, but what motivated me was love and sadness. And it was, and the reason I'm saying love and sadness is because when I spent time with the residents, which I did every day, I actually came in every day uh, unpaid to spend time with them and try to figure out how to create a program for them. And what I noticed was, especially at a certain stage of dementia, there, there was an innocence about them. I would sit down on a couch and, and hold a lady's hand. And I can't tell you how many times somebody would look at me and say, do you like me? I mean, I was like, do I like you? I said, oh, I love you. And, and suddenly they would melt. It would, it, whenever you would, you would express love to them, they would just melt. And there was just this innocence that would shine out from them and they would return that love 20 fold. So it was, it was love for them and the sadness was because I realized that as the dementia progresses, they go further and further inside this other world and the outside world can't touch them. In other words, they're in there all alone. They're going through this journey, no matter how many people are around them who love them, they're basically going through this journey alone. And that caused me a great deal of sadness to, to know that. Oh, interesting. I love when you talk about the innocence and, you know, they, they do, they just get so authentic. And uh, that was one of the beauties I saw with my mom's journey of 30 years too. And she taught me to be more authentic, uh -huh. you know, um, because that's who I had to be to, to be with her, you know, and I wanted to be more authentic. So, I mean, I could, I could come in at any mood and she would accept me and and love me for who I was which was fascinating that she could even pick up on all that stuff because we were told mm -hmm. they well they don't know 
but they're reading all the body language, not just yes. words. And I, I think they have so much that they can teach us in terms of how to, how to live better. Um, I want to ask you about how does your information on dementia differ from kind of the mainstream info that, that people get out there? Well, the information, uh, I'm basically, I'm a very spiritual person, let's put it that way. I, I, I believe that my life is guided not so much by, by religion. I'm not a religious person. And, and what God is, I'm not quite sure. I kind of call it the universe. I, I feel it's the, the guiding force of everything. And I'm, I'm very connected to that. So all of the education programs and workshops and everything I put together has a very strong element of, of also working with the human spirit. That's how the holistic um, work comes in because holistic means basically working with the mind, body, and spirit of the human being. It's not just about their physicality. We can't just take care of their bodies and expect that that's all that's going to be needed. It, it has to be this, this rounded out um, emotions and their minds and their thoughts and their, and their feelings and their, um, and their human spirit. What, what lifts the human spirit? We're always talking about, oh, it really lifted my spirits. Well, if you don't have a spirit, what's it lifting? That's my question. Yep. So, <laughs> right. so we, we all, whether we believe in, in God or the universe or whatever, we, we all kind of have this belief that there's a spirit of some kind within us. Even if we're an atheist, there's, there's a spirit. Um, I wanted to do the book with, with dealing with uh, the science and spirituality because by putting the science in the first part of the book, really simple, basic neuroscience of how the brain works, um, people are able to understand their own brain function. I think it's really important. In my workshops, I discovered so many people had no idea of how the brain even works. And here they were taking care of a person with a damaged brain. I believe, my personal belief is that you need to know how the machine works before you can understand how to interact with it, it, it meaning the brain. Um, and so I put a lot of information on that. And um, so when you learn how, how a healthy brain works, then in the book, I, I take that to how does, how does dementia damage this function? So each function that I go through, I also go through how, how does dementia affect this healthy function? And so it, it's a it's a really uh, it's a book that, and my whole teachings are about raising your own consciousness. Like you were talking about, you became a better person taking care of your mother in spite of, in spite of all of the difficulties and everything that go with it, and and, and the losses and the sadness and everything else. If we, if we can rise above that and become better people because of it, we're raising our consciousness, which which is basically what I what I work on in my own personal life and what I teach. I teach people how to make their lives better in spite of the challenges that they're experiencing. Because so, many times, especially with dementia, those challenges can't be stopped or changed or cured. I mean, this is something that you're just gonna go through to the end. So how do you wanna go through, through this? Do you wanna go through this feeling helpless and the victim? Or do you want to take your life, your own personal life and your own personal feelings and, and, and make them better for yourself? Because once you make it better for yourself, 
you're making it much better for the person with dementia. Everybody wins. Everybody around you wins. The rest of the family wins. So it, it is about uh, self-awareness and, and helping your own self to grow into, into a better person. And, and believe me, the caregiving, the people that have done this, and I've been in contact with, with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of caregivers, the ones that have achieved this, they, they still go through the same challenges as everybody else, doctors and the dementia and the, the episodes and everything else. But the difference is they're much stronger within themselves. They're much more contained, what I call self-contained within themselves. It's not the outer is not directing how they feel. They, and, and I think that's, that's what I wanted to teach people. I wanted to teach people that so that they could they could get a glimpse into the world that their loved one is living in. Because I, I saw a saying that said, your loved one is not giving you a problem, they're having a problem. And I thought to myself, wow, if people could just hold on to that one sentence, understanding that what they're doing is they're having a problem. They're not there to make your life miserable. So my my information uh, based, is based on that. And then it goes into uh, a lot of, metaphysical spirituality because I have a metaphysical bent on my spirituality but I also um, utilize the how other religions believe and how that correlates with with what I've I've presented in the book and because basically if there's a religion or a spiritual practice or uh, a temple or they're all basically talking about the human spirit obviously we have a human spirit if you're going to have a religion or a spiritual belief and there's something else out there, and I don't know what it is, but I, I do have this great sense that there's there's purpose to everything, and um, and that even in the worst of circumstances, good can come out of it. That's my mainstream. That's what's a little different than my mainstream the mainstream information. I think <laughs> we have so much in common um, in terms of beliefs. You know, you were you were talking about the consciousness and and um, I'm actually doing a program that I just developed called Conscious Compassionate Care for the Care Partners. And it's it's all about getting people to talk about the mucky waters that we don't like to address. Mm -hmm. And because I think you have to move through that stuff. You have to recognize yeah. it to move through it. And we're really good at stuffing it and it coming out sideways and and all of those things. Um, I wanted to ask you also, um, I'm kind of a, a God in the universe um, person too. And, and I got there through caring for my mom, because there was just so much more I found than, than um, just a, a, a real, and I grew up um, Lutheran, but there was so much more than just the, the normal relationship. Our, our relationship got so intimate and we communicated on different levels, which I know a lot of people will think are foo-foo, but you know, my mom came <laughs> to me in dreams or we would just be sitting and, and maybe it was because I became more conscious, I saw more signs, you know, because three quarters of our communication is nonverbal, but yet we're still yeah. like, what's my name? You know, <laughs> and we're trying to, we're trying to force that, that word. Um, to 
to come out of somebody. Um, but I, uh, but I'm also thinking that some of our audience might not know or be familiar with the term meta metaphysical. So can you explain what that is for those that that might not know? Well, metaphysical is basically al alternative spiritual beliefs. Uh, it's not uh, the uh, traditional religion, let's let's say. Um, metaphysical can include yoga is a metaphysical practice. It, it works with energy. Um, it works with the spirit of the, of the person. And so the, the metaphysical, I don't, I don't really have an exact, I know if you went to Google and Googled it in, it would give you a very concise, exact description. But it, it does include the fact that there, there's dreams and, and the fact that I believe that when the, when the filters come down that keep us believing that this is real, which they do during dementia, lots of things are possible. Um, for instance, you were talking about your mother coming to you in a dream. I was, I, I did some uh, caregiving, private caregiving for, for uh, a while. And I was taking care of this woman, Marilyn, who I dearly loved. I just loved her. She was so difficult. I love the difficult ones because they, I, I feel like they're, they've got this fighting spirit, you know, and I, I just, I love that. And so Marilyn was difficult for everybody except with me. She used to hold my hand and say, you're my only friend. And mm -hmm. it wasn't that I was her only friend. It's I was the only one that understood her and just loved her unconditionally. Even though her family loved her, they didn't love her unconditionally because it depended a lot about how she was acting, basically. So anyway, one night I was sleeping in my own studio. I used to live in a, uh, an art colony in my studio. And... I, I felt something on the bed at the end of the bed and I, I sat up and I was kind of groggy and I looked and I swear there was Marilyn sitting at the end of my bed. Now I I gotta be dreaming. This is, I said, Marilyn, how'd you get in here? And she just smiled and she said, isn't it about time you get started writing that book? And I'm going, this can't be. And I, I rubbed my eyes. And when I opened my eyes again, she was gone. I said, wow, that was the weirdest dream. It was so real. For the whole week after that, while I was caring for Marilyn, she kept pulling me into the library. Now, I had never mentioned the book or anything to her, and I hadn't mentioned to her the dream either. And she would pull me into the library and pull off books and say, look at this, look at this, look at, and she never did that before. So there's so many questions about what the human being is capable of. What are we really capable of? Are we, are we capable of reading other people's minds. We're certainly capable of reading each other's emotional energy, for instance. Emotion, emotions are contagious. You know, somebody doesn't even have to be doing anything. They can just be feeling it and we, and we can feel it if we tune in. So what is all that, you know? Um, and so with metaphysics, it's, it's basically working with um, a lot of woo-woo, as you said, you know? And, uh, but I've just had so many experiences in the woo-woo land that it, it seems to me that there's a lot to it. And I've, I've done a lot of study on it and, and human consciousness. What is human consciousness? What is the brain versus human consciousness? How does the brain keep us rooted in this world? Because my basic belief is the mind, which I believe is much bigger than brain-generated thoughts, all right? Um, so I don't believe the mind and the brain generated thoughts are the same thing. And I, I, I write in depth about that in my book, how, why that, that
that is not so, at least hypothetically, why that would maybe not be so. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of um, metaphysical experiences as well. I had my uncle come to me in a dream, and I remember waking up and and seeing him standing at the end of my bed, healthy and happy, and his arms open wide, and he had this brilliant smile, and his eyes were glistening, and and um, and he said, "Tell Kay it's time. We're here for her. We'll we'll help her cross," you know. And I, I remember waking up thinking, what the heck just happened? And I'm like, well, I want to talk to my uncle. And I had forgotten that he had passed because it was so real. I mean, it was it was like right. 3D. He was there. And I thought, what do I do with this? And I thought, well, I guess I better go to the hospital where my aunt was in hospice and talk to her. And so I went down to the hospital and I was so thankful for the hospice nurse and I think they are, are so good with, with acknowledging things like this. And she said, honey, before you go in, I just want you to know she's in a state where she's probably not going to respond. She's not going to hold your hand. She's not going to open up her eyes. She's most likely not going to speak, but she will hear everything that you are saying. Mm -hmm. she, will, she will take in your presence totally. So I went into this room and I had this religious conflict because my aunt was really Catholic. And I thought, oh, what's she going to think of this? <laughs> you know. And so for 45 minutes, I kind of rambled on on all the family updates. And I was just sitting there holding her hand and she just kind of was looking like she's sleeping in bed. And, and then I said, OK, Anna Kay. And I squeezed her hand and I said, I'm going to tell you why I'm really here. And then I explained to her that, you know, Uncle Chuck, her husband, had come to me. And all of a sudden, she squeezed my hand back. She got this huge smile on her face. Her eyes popped open. The room got just chilly. And she just stared at the ceiling. And it felt like forever, but it was probably 30 to 60 seconds. And then her eyes shut. And she squeezed my hand and, but the, the smile remained on her face and I stayed with her. Oh gosh, probably another hour or so. And then I went home and two hours later, I, I got the, you know, the message that she had passed. And I just thought, what an honor to be part of that process. Yes. I mean, it was just such a beautiful thing. And I could have easily ignored that, but I took the risk of, of, you know, somebody thinking that I'm just a lunatic going in there. And I thought, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go with this. The, the worst that's going to happen is someone's going to think that I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And the best is I'm going to give my aunt some peace and help them connect. And I choose to believe that's what I was able to do was to help her connect with him. And I think it's, I think it's important to respect everybody's religious beliefs or mm -hmm. spiritual beliefs, regardless of whether you believe them to be true or not. I was raised Catholic until I was 13. And then I decided at 13 that I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. So I, I think it, I always respect other people's spiritual beliefs. And when I talk about the spirituality of dementia, I'm also talking about the soul, which I believe in the soul. I believe in the spirit. Mm -hmm. um, in science, the soul is basically just the energy that runs the machine mm -hmm. because um, scientifically, we are composed of energy. We are really not solid. So when you start breaking our physicality down into the atomic structure and then even smaller than that, we're, we're light beings walking around all the time thinking we're solid. 
So for me, the the question about okay, if we're if we're spiritual beings having a human experience, why are so many souls experiencing dementia? And and that was a, a motivating force for me for for many years before I wrote the book. And then I was able, and also I worked for the Alzheimer's Association for a year with a program. And I did conferences and everything, and they always told my my superior that he was to keep me in check because I was like a wild card. You know, they said, listen, we don't want to hear any of her theories or her spirituality or anything. Just keep with the facts, ma'am, just the facts, you know. And this was driving me nuts because I felt like I was I was being censored. I had a, you know, a big muffle on my mouth and I, I couldn't say what I really wanted to say. So I figured I'm going to write a book because it's my book. It's my thoughts. People can take it or not, you know. So that's what's in that book. I mean, some people are going to look at some of it and say, whoa, this is really pretty far out there. But it's all a possibility. I never say that this is the way it is. Here's the science that we know up to now. Mm -hmm. But also remember that in 10 years, this science is going to be obsolete. You know, I mean, we used to believe the world was flat and that was science, you know. So, you know, I just look at, okay, as of today, this is how far we've gone with science, but this is the facts. Then the hypothesis, how... What, what happens to the soul during dementia? And why is this journey so profound and life-changing? Everybody is changed because of one person in the family getting dementia. If you have close contact with that person or you've cared for that person, you are never going to be the same person again. And that, that means that it's what I call a rite of passage. A rite of passage is that interim time between leaving one life or lifestyle, and moving into another. And dementia is a rite of passage for everybody concerned. Oh, I, I've never heard it termed that way, but it, it I, I totally agree with that. And I no, I think people, you know, there's been so much stigma attached to this, yeah. just a horrible path. And, you know, I still say to this day that my, you know, I wouldn't wish this disease on anybody, you know, if I, if, if, if I had my druthers, Um, but I learned so much and was taught so many beautiful life lessons through this process. But again, folks who are listening, you are only going to find what you're looking for. And so if you're not open to finding joy or creating joy, ain't going to happen. Um, and you're just going to swirl, you know, in that little tornado of chaos. And, and that is a, that is a choice, you know, that you can make. And, and I always talk about, if this can be a gift or a disaster, which do you want mm-hmm. in your life? You know, do you want fears and tears or do you want joy? Well, then you have to be present. You have to create, you have to identify, you have to, and you have to accept what's happening. And, and, um, and acceptance is really hard. So many people deny it and push it away. And then that kind of distance everybody and disconnects everything and, and yet denial is the kind of part of the, the grieving process, really, in terms of, you know, getting to that point of acceptance. But once you get there and you choose to consciously be aware of what is happening and, you know, what makes somebody happy, what makes somebody sad, um, those moments can be... Um, just uh, just phenomenal tools in the future instead of arguing with someone to 
have to take their shower every morning because it works into your routine. And now you're arguing all day long, trying to get them into the shower. You've wrecked your day and their day versus accepting it and say, okay, we'll try later tonight. Now you've had a good day and maybe the timing is better for them. And, and it's just really, I think people have been taught and, and believe that dementia is much more complicated than what it is. Mm-hmm. And when we slow down um, and, and pay attention and just be present, uh, and, and anybody who has found joy will pretty much tell you it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, well, but- I, I, definitely, I definitely agree with you and I are totally on the same page here. It's, yep. it's great to know. <laughs> I, yeah. always like, I like meeting like-minded people because it, it sort of helps because I do meet a lot of people that are, that are, are don't have that philosophy. And, and um, I think without that, that belief that you can, it's, it, there's also another saying where I can't control what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. I can only re- control how I respond to it. Mm-hmm. And that, that takes a lot of practice. You know, I mean, to to be able to not say, okay, because of this outside of me, I'm feeling this. No, I I'm, I personally always see if I have any kind of conflict in my life, I in, immediately go inside and say, okay, where's this coming from, Katya? Why are you responding that way? Is this an old feeling that's just being triggered, which by the way, happens a lot with caregivers if they're caring for a family member or a husband or a spouse, because old stuff gets triggered. I'll tell you another story. Another woman that I was working with, I was working with the whole family. We were doing assessments and I eventually became her advocate when she was placed in the, in the nursing home. Her husband had had an affair when they were younger and the children were small and they decided to stay together, which they did. Well, when she got dementia, let me tell you, he couldn't walk out of the room without her accusing him of, of having been with another woman. He'd go to the store, she'd come back, he'd come back. She would be accusing him of being with another woman. That had nothing, I mean, the man was in his 80s, you know, and he wasn't exactly gonna cheat on her anymore, but she had an issue. It turned out that it was her best friend that he'd had the, an ongoing affair with for several years. That was very ingrained, that was an unresolved issue. So as a result, those unresolved issues during dementia will present themselves. And what happens is the spouses or the family don't know that these things have happened to them in their past lives. So things come up and they go, oh, wow, she's just out of her mind. It's like, this is, you know, my dad's not going to cheat on her. I mean, she's, you know, but then uh, luckily her daughter already knew about it and she could tell me. So I, I worked with her a little bit so that issue could come out. I'd say, oh, so you think he's with another woman? Who do you think he's with? And then she'd say, I don't know, but he's, I say, oh, you know, men are like that. I mean, you know, how, and I would have questions where she could express that unresolved emotion because they have to come out all of our unresolved emotions, which are stuffed inside. I call them the monsters in the closet are going to come out years later when we have a trigger that flings that door open to the closet and out comes the monster and he says, here I am. And the monster will play out the whole thing all over again with a different face and a different scenario, but the same script. Yes. So until we can actually work on our own personal issues, because personally, a lot of people don't like their parents. You mm-hmm. love your parents, but some of them 
let's be real, they're not very likable before dementia. Yeah. And so now that here they are with with dementia and you've got to take care of them. I mean, there's people I, I wrote, I write regular blogs that we put on the website. They're free blogs for people to to get advice on their 500 words. And when when those monsters come out, what it's it's like you're reliving it. But the problem is with dementia, when their monster comes out of the closet from the past, they are reliving it. Yeah, they're totally reliving it. They yep. become that age. They become that person of, of what was ever stuffed. So part of raising our own personal consciousness is working with our own issues. You know, you can be honest about saying, I never liked my mother and I, we were at war from probably the moment I was born to the moment I was born. And my mother was also very abusive, physically abusive. So I had a lot of triggers. I mean, I was I just staying at her house and when she was elderly, I had it, I came in one time to help her after a glaucoma operation. I was there for three days. And I had night terrors like a child the whole time I was there because these that that PTSD trauma of child abuse was triggered, even being around my mother. So I was very, I was very lucky in the sense that my mother's sister was in charge of my mother. Because personally, I don't think I could have, I could have taken care of my mother being a child abuse survivor. So uh, I, I had a whole article on child abuse survivors and then I put it on social media and I cannot begin to tell you how many people answered that who are child abuse survivors and caring for their loved yep. one or others who said, there's no way I could do it. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. You know? yep. So there's all kinds of family dynamics that have gone on in the past that are going to affect your care mm -hmm. of a person with dementia and also affect your attitude about them because those old childhood triggers are going to, are going to get ignited and you're going to feel like you're 10 years old again, even though you're 30 or 40. Yep. Yeah. No, that, that's a really, really um, very good point. And then there are some too where they haven't had a very good relationship with their parent and their parent maybe not have been a very nice person, not to, just to them, but just in life, just kind of one of those right. crab bears. And all of a sudden they go, she's so kind. <laughs> where, where was this person growing up in all my life, right. you know, and, and some people step into that and go finally I, I you know I have uh, this person that I that I, I adore um, and others say I can't go there because I know that's really not her and I can't I can't pretend and and so you know and and there's no right or wrong everybody's got to do what's best for themselves right. but it is complicated because it's not just the disease there's this whole emotional aspects because we're talking about relationships and um and they're messy um in your book you know you you present both sides of the of the science and the and the spirituality and you i think you did a good job at um it kind of explaining to us why but was there anything else that you wanted to add um to that well um just to clarify my my spiritual beliefs lean a lot towards buddhist philosophy mm -hmm. all right so there is uh, a leaning towards that towards the last chapter of the book because pretty much I'm going through uh, human perception how we perceive this world and how that perception has changed during dementia because I'm trying to get people to 
uh, step into the shoes of the person with dementia. So in my workshops, in my training, I, I train nursing homes across the country in the US. Um, I have sensory exercises. So to like, say for instance, visual, uh, it's very common knowledge you'll read that they have visual sight changes as dementia progresses. Well, what is that? You know, what kind of sight changes are you talking about? So uh, if you're talking about losing peripheral vision, that means they're looking through a tunnel. Um, but what most people don't understand or even realize is that they also lose depth perception. And when a person loses depth perception, they can't tell how fast something is coming at them. They cannot judge the speed of something coming towards them. And they cannot judge volume. So a, a stairs, you know, how, how people have such difficulty getting them to go up and down stairs or even a curb. Well, they don't see the depth of the stairs. They see stairs like lines on the floor. They'll see a dark rug as a hole they're about to fall into. So I, what I try to do is I simulate exercises. I also put these in the book that the caregiver can actually, they can actually try these exercises and they'll actually know what it feels like to have dementia, at least with that sensory uh, problem. And in my, one time I did a conference and it was in, this was in Chicago and, and I had 75 people in a workshop. I had a workshop at a conference on um, aging. And I, and I mentioned this three-dimensional thing. So what I did was I told them to take a magazine or a paper. I had a, I had a, um, a little piece of cardboard for them to do this and make a, make a round it off and, and put it over your eye. In other words, create a, 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 a tunnel here. So you're creating a tunnel. Take off your glasses and, and, and then you're going to put it over one eye open. And I got everybody into the hallway in the conference. There were 75 people, everybody with this, you know, this rolled up magazine on their, on their eye and no glasses, right? And then they had to walk back into the, into the room and find their chair with, with the rolled up newspaper, uh, the rolled up paper on their eye and sit down in their chair. It was hysterical, 75 people. I mean, they're touching each other. They're following each other. They're, they're, they're trying to find the chair. And when they found the chair, every, almost every single one of them misjudged the distance and would fall into the seat because that simulated not only tunnel vision where you lose your peripheral vision, but it also simulated depth perception loss. And everybody, it was like bingo, the lights went on with just that exercise. Why? Because for just that time period, they stepped into the shoes of the person with dementia. And that helps with caregiving, trying to go into their place. Somebody, oh, I, um, I'm on all these social media sites because I learn from them. And I also, I also post, you know, um, suggestions and the blogs and so on and so forth. And a lot of times people say, it's just driving me crazy. She's following me from one room to another. I can't, I, it's, I don't have any air in the room. Well, what's it like to feel totally lost if you don't have that person as your anchor? In other words, you're literally lost in the living room. You've never seen this place before. You don't know where it is. Uh, you can't feel your body maybe because that's also a common progression is they lose mind-body connection. So they can't tell you where their hand is. They can't tell you where pain is because they're losing the, the mind-body connection. So, and another thing that they lose 
is they lose the ability of their body to find itself in the space around it. Now, let me explain that one. You're walking through a room and you're not even thinking. You've got maybe something in front of your face you're doing or whatever. You're not thinking, you're not falling down, you're not dizzy. Why? Because your body automatically, your brain automatically puts your body in position in the space around it. You don't bump into things or that's a brain function. They lose that brain function with the, with the progression of dementia. So at some point, they don't feel their bodies anymore. They don't feel their bodies in relationship to the spaces around them. So what would that feel like? That would almost feel like your weight. It's like you're floating in nothingness physically. So when people understand this type of information, this is information that I, I, I found bits and pieces of it you know, over the web and everywhere else. But then I say, okay, now here, that makes sense. But how does that pertain to the situation? So that's what I tried to, to encourage people to do is to figure out a way, okay, I have this information. How would that feel for me if this was happening to me? And then maybe mom following me around won't be so awful all the time because I, I realize how terrified she is all alone in a strange place with nobody that she knows, even though she's in the family home. I, I love that explanation. I, I talk about shadowing and I, um, I've done it in a different format, but similar. Cause I think, I think sometimes we have to shift people from this headset to a heart set. Yes. And that's what you're doing in terms of getting people to feel what it's really like. And I, I do it through, um, thinking about when you were a young child and you might've had a little stuffed animal or a blankie and that you could go to sleep, you were comfortable. That was kind of your safety net. And that as dementia progresses, people need that safety net. And when I, and I tell people that, um, you know, how cool is that, that you, you physically are, are that person's little security blanket. You know, then then it becomes an honor, and and you 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 come at it from from a heart standpoint, understanding on an emotional level what you are giving that person and the and the gift wrapped in that, and I think having people go through those physical experiences, I don't think there's anything um, like that. I did a a course for a social worker. I used to do things when I was at selling real estate and I would help people transition. And she's like, you know, you, these ones, they need to, they need help with the transition. She's like, but we're just going to hold on that. And she's like, I don't know if you can do this for them or not, Lori. She says, but they really want to know why their parents are so mad at them. And so I did a whole experience thing of this is what it feels like. This is and a lot of similar exercise to what you're talking. They were in tears going, no wonder they're mad at me. No, I mean, I am doing this all wrong. And so when you get people to, to feel the need to change and to understand that the outcomes can be so different, yeah. even when it's the same outcome, it can be viewed so differently if we look at it from, from a different level. And so I, I love what you're doing with your work. I think it's really um, extremely important. Now, some people are also going to ask, you know, what the heck is holistic, you know, elder care? 
what does that really mean and how does how do you apply that in and of itself to um, dementia care and i also want you to um, address if you can the difference between um, maybe a community providing this and a family do you see a difference all right Um, a holistic view like i said earlier is mind body spirit okay Mm -hmm. so the physical is to take care of the physical not only of the person who has dementia, but also of the person who's caring for the person with dementia. If you, you, you need to take care of both people. Um, there's a, a person-centered care focuses on, in, in nursing homes, the, the ones that are using person-centered care, it focuses on the needs of the residents, the needs of the caregivers, the needs of the administration, the needs of the lady that that cleans the floor. In in other words, every single person is included in person-centered care. And that's also the same with with a holistic view. Now with the mind, the mind to me is, is, is not just brain function. Everybody thinks, oh, my thoughts are, are, um, that's my mind. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) I hate to tell you, but your thoughts Um, they make up only 5% or less of what your brain is doing, 5% or less. Everything else is is stuffed into the subconscious that, um, so, and and then we're we're still talking about where where does the spirit? So it's brain function, it's it's memory, it's emotions, it's my perceptions and how I feel about what I'm perceiving. And uh, so it's really important to, address the needs of the mind the person who's trying to communicate for instance in other words i'm basically my my focus my specialty is improving communication and interaction with people with dementia so it's important for them to be able to communicate it's important for them to to remove those past issues that we were talking about at least bring them out and and let the energy be released from them so mind physicality is one thing oh we change the diapers we get them washed we get them fed and then we sit them on a couch in front of the television and that's it well where's mind in that so you've taken good care of the physical body but their mind is being neglected then there's there's the spirit and the spirit is the human energy that that human that god i'm just feeling so good it it that isn't that isn't just your emotions and your perceptions and your thoughts. It's also your spirits have been lifted. So keeping the person's spirits lifted, or if the person has had a religious practice, keeping that religious practice going, even though they can't go to church anymore, you could read a Bible, something out of the Bible for them if they read the Bible all the time. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, it doesn't matter. They did. Uh, Put on spiritual music for them so that they they can sing along if they want. This is all attending to the spirit, depending on what's familiar for the person with dementia and what's comfortable for the person who's caring for them. So it's mind, body, spirit, and not one of those areas can be left behind or you're not totally caring for the person. Well, I, I totally agree with that. And even, you know, when you were talking about person-centered care, I, I personally, I hate that term because I think it's overused and underdelivered, and it's gotten task-oriented. Uh-huh. And even when you used the um, example of, you know, maybe giving someone a bath or whatever, you can do that physical task. And like you said, um, you can care for the body. You might have done the task, but you might have done it in a really rough manner, too. 
um, or, you know, your words or your energy with the whole spirit. So just because something got done doesn't mean it got done well yeah. um, in terms of connection. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's really important that we focus on, you know, are people, you know, safe and happy and pain free? Um, and to me, when I when I focused on those three things, I I did my tasks very differently. I still needed to kind of go through my my checklist and stuff, but I I approached things different because my priorities weren't just to get the task done, but it was to get it done. So I was what I call relationship based, um, which I think you would you know term holistic care, where you really are encompassing encompassing you know what what is this what is this doing to the whole person and and it has such a ripple effect you know when you can get them in that space or if they're already in that space and leave them in that space your life becomes easier too you know cuz our energy is connected but sometimes we sometimes they can be really comfortable and we we pull them out of that space to get something done that might not even need to be done during that time frame and, um, and for me, I found that as being a huge mistake for myself that I learned to, to correct and really relish in what is really best for them. Does this really need to be done? And, and I don't know if you've, you've seen this or not, but for me, um, Katya, I, I had a lot of things on my list that I found didn't need to be done, but they made me feel better because it was a, um, you know, I was, I was fighting this disease that didn't have a cure. And so I wanted, I guess, my mom to know that I cared and I was doing everything in my power um, to help. And so I would add things to my list that really might not have been important to her. And, um, and, uh, and I also found when I focused on that safe, happy and pain free, that I could let other people in to help or I could release um, the time frames that I put on that added pressure to me that didn't need time frames or remove some of those items that that really didn't matter um, but put more pressure on me and I was doing that all myself and I didn't realize that checking something off was really empowering to me to make me feel like I was doing something because no one taught me about the other things you know, uh, uh, the other ways to care um, in terms of that holistic fashion. So I think it's really important that we have that conversation because, you know, at the root, how do we want to be cared for? You know, we want to be heard. Um, we, we want people to do what's best for us or, or honor what our decisions were, even if they don't agree with them. If we validate, make, validate it, them. Yeah. So um, very interesting. I want to hear about your your project in Costa Rica. Oh, um, wow. So why don't I, I know the time is just blowing by here, but I want to I want to hear <laughs> what you're doing and how you're doing it and why. Okay. Um, uh, about a year and a half ago, just before COVID uh, shut, just shut everything down, uh, a friend of mine uh, had started a foundation in the States and he had read my book. And he, he loved especially the, the spiritual aspect of it and so on. He says, this information really get, needs to get out. I'm going to try and have my foundation support you in getting this out. And so they did. 
But because we're in Costa Rica, we needed to make our own legal non nonprofit, which mm -hmm. I'm not particularly fond of making nonprofits because I, I feel I'm an out of the box person and and every organization like the Alzheimer's Association, I worked for hospice for a while, uh, the elder affairs in, in Arizona, they were, they were all so boxed. There was all, you know, facts, man, just the facts kind of a thing. And so I thought, oh, well, I'm going to create this, this uh, nonprofit and it'll be different, maybe. So I created the nonprofit and I put together with, uh, I, I started working together with some very heartfelt people, um, uh, especially uh, a, a lady named Maria, who was my right hand. So we did two websites, one for the association and one for the dementia project, and they're both bilingual. So, and, and the foundation helped with all the startup money and the legal costs and everything else. It's been very, very good as far as uh, uh, helping to support us. And they manage our tax-free donations and so on. The idea of the dementia project, is, which is basically my focus, the association is focused on holistic um, health for, for seniors, not necessarily just dementia. My baby is the dementia project. That's all I want, that's all I want to work on. So I just recently left the presidency. Maria took over the presidency of the association so that she can maintain the box. And I can, I can continue to move outside of it with the dementia project. So I have a project in mind. Oh, by the way, we got our legalities um, two days after lockdown. So we've been trying to put this organization together, if you can imagine, in the middle of co a COVID epidemic worldwide. So it has been incredibly challenging, but this it's we're really growing in leaps and bounds. It's quite amazing because there's such a cooperative effort going. The rural project, which is what actually this week I'm going south into uh, a rural town called San Isidro, is to bring dementia information in person when it's possible with COVID right now, it's not, uh, online and in person to the rural areas where there's very little dementia information. And in the rural areas in Costa Rica, people are still taking care of their loved ones in home. There might be one nursing home in, in five towns, for five towns, if there's a nursing home at all. So basically people are taking care of their loved one in the home, the majority of them, with almost no information about what's going on. They, they still believe in senile dementia. Oh, as you, as you start to get older, you, you know, mom's just kind of old and so she has no memory. Well, that's been debunked because there is no such thing as you get old and, and you get dementia. Dementia is caused by a neurological condition. So by bringing this information to the rural areas, it's, it's like a, I'm, I'm, I'm like the little ant or the little spider just crawling along. I'm also networking those communities. So we're going to, we're creating a huge network within Costa Rica of resources, not only for seniors in general, but with a, with a focus on what resources are available for people who have loved ones with dementia or who have dementia and diagnosed in these rural outlying areas. And that includes, this project also includes indigenous areas. I have worked with the indigenous uh, off and on for quite a few years. And um, before I started this project, I had worked with a year in a, in a tribe where I had taught the, uh, them how to improve their handcrafts. 
so that they would be more marketable on a world scale or they could charge more for their handcrafts. So uh, I have a very good connections in this one tribe, which is where I'm going back to, to start with dementia education. Here's the reason. One of the families that I had been working with with the handcraft improvement project, her mother got dementia and she used to come into my class and she would be in the class and I would, I would help Julia with simple things for her to do so she really felt part of it. Well, as she progressed, it got worse and worse. And I cannot, when, when we talk about poverty situations in rural areas and in indigenous um, territories, the indigenous, I can't even begin to tell you the poverty that this Julia's family was living and trying to care for her. It was six children in, in just the, the most horrific conditions is that, that would be for taking care of a person with dementia. There were no disposable diapers. There were no diapers. It was basically she used rags and would wash them and clean them. When, when her mother lost the ability to swallow, Karen didn't know what was going on with her mother. She calls me and she says, I, she can't swallow. She's choking. She's choking. I said, it's time to do pureed foods. Well, she didn't have a blender to do, to do pureed foods. So I bought her a blender and, and, and took it down so that she had more months of life where she wasn't choking on her food. So the, uh, the focus on the rural areas is not only bringing dementia education, but how to care for someone in poverty situations, but abject poverty situations. Well, I can't get a blender to every single indigenous that's going to need them, but the indigenous have these, they, they grind corn with these stone, uh, it's, it's a stone pestle, mortar and pestle. And I'm, I believe that they can grind up the food, even though it's wet, to the point where there's nothing in it and strain it and that can be given to them. So instead of having a blender, which they can't afford, they, they do have these mortar and pestles that they grind corn with so they can use it. So I'm coming up with all kinds of new and practical ideas of how to improve the care of a loved one with dementia in the family home, especially if it's in poverty situations. So that's, that's my baby right now. And um, also uh, the, the book has now been translated into Spanish. It's going to be coming out um, pretty soon from the publishers, probably in the next couple of weeks. So we're going to be promoting that book in the Hispanic countries like Chile and Brazil and Honduras and so on and so forth because there's very few books in Spanish on the subject of dementia, as far well, as- hmm? I was gonna say, and, and don't you think some of it is um, the cultural divide too, in terms of uh, we haven't reached, we haven't been inclusive in terms of, of um, trust and communication. I mean, part of it is the language, but even with our um, African-Americans, um, you know, they're getting hit really hard with this. And yet very few are kind of in the social support groups and gathering knowledge because there's such a distrust right. there. And so right. I, I, I love that you are, you know, expanding and you are really looking at, you know, what is the reality and, you know, what are, what are their beliefs too? I mean, all of that has to be taken into consideration. Absolutely. And, and that is something I don't think we've addressed well in the world. You might want to connect, too, with um, Harry Urban on Facebook. 
Uh, Harry has a group called Forget Me Nuts. Uh-huh. And he, um, he's been living with dementia, gosh, I think about 15 years now. Uh-huh. But Harry, uh, Harry was asked, he's like, you know, uh, we can't understand what these conversations are, you know, can you, can you help us? And Harry's like, yeah, we'll get a translation bar, not a problem. This is a man with dementia fixing a problem that large organizations hadn't figured out right. um, until really recently. But Harry's very well connected. I think he'd be really interested in learning more about that book and getting that out to. Can you spell a, his last name? It's um, U R B A N. Uh-huh. And his uh, he's got several different groups, but they're all Forget Me Not on Facebook. So he has one for Louis Body, one for uh-huh. um, he has a lot of subgroups within um, for vascular, um, okay. Alzheimer's, all of that stuff. They have like a Friday fun night. They do a cookbook every year and he pulls that together. I mean, he's just very creative and community oriented and really wants to to meet the needs. So I think, I think that would be a really nice spot for you to be um, connected with uh, for sure on that. Um, Well, this has just been a fascinating conversations. Kudos to you for all the work and, and, you know, pushing kind of pushing away and just moving forward from the disbelievers out there, you know, and again, to me, that's almost another cultural difference just because you don't believe in that doesn't mean that it can't be possible or it can't work like this we still have to honor and and again on my journey i found my mind became more open and maybe it became more opened because i was so frustrated and it's like okay i'm gonna look over here and i'm gonna look over here and i'm gonna listen to this because what's in front of me is not working and, you know, so I'm a firm believer and, and I think I have really been all of my life of, of listening to everyone. And, um, and I think one of the other things too, that we really didn't touch on, but I think, uh, you know, I, my guess is you probably believe this too, is a, a lot of what we do with dementia is trial and error. And one of oh, the yeah. things that we have to get, uh, kind of get changed in people's minds is that, you know, it has to be perfect every time. And, you know, perf- perfection is procrastination. And um, and it gets you in that box that you were talking about that you had to break out of. You know, you wanted to still be able to be creative. And it sets, I think it sets us up to fail because we stop listening and right. we stop learning and we think we haven't figured out. And I don't think we'll ever figure it all out. I think there's just too much in any of our lifetimes, but we can constantly learn and we can constantly improve. And so if we can kind of shift that mindset from failing um, to one of progress and every failure, you know, helps you do something better the next time, you know, you can twist, you can turn it, or maybe you say, no, that's just not going to work. But as we know also with dementia, what works one day might not work 10 minutes later. Um, And so you need this broad um, toolkit and you need, I think, to live well with it. And we talked about this, I think, before we went on air, Um, you need hope. You You need hope that there's possibility for a better world. Yeah. And, and you really- I think it's all about perception. You know, I, I, I do a lot of um, information on perception. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, our website says changing the face of dementia. 
That's basically the tagline at the top of the website on the Dementia Project. And it's it's not that we're changing the face of dementia, we're changing how you see it. Yep. So it's it is it's what when you change what you look at, what you look at changes. Yep. You know, when you when you change the the attitude that one has towards the work that you you're forced to do, then it's it doesn't feel like you're being forced anymore. Yep. So it is about changing perception. Yeah. And um, once you change your perception about having to do this, or I've been thrust, I hear it all the time on, on the social media. I'm, I've been forced into this. I, there's nobody to do it but me. It's all, you know, that's that's a victim mentality that is, is going to cause a lot of damage to the person who's caring for the person with dementia. And it causes a lot of damage for the person with dementia. Yeah. Because you've got an angry, frustrated, victimized caregiver. Yeah. So when the caregiver decides to move out of being the victim, okay, yeah, life life throws you a, a lot of lemons, you know? I mean, you're, you're going to have lemons throughout your life, and this is one of the biggest. But it's still a lemon, and it's and you can still make lemonade. I mean, that's that old, yeah. that old little phrase, but you, you, life is what you make out of it, regardless of what cards you've been dealt. I mean, um, I'm, I've, I have been, you know, I've spent 50 years now in Latin American countries, working with indigenous, working with street children, going into horrific life situations that um, often the the caregiver whose life has now been gone topsy-turvy taking care of somebody, they're still luckier than somebody who has to use rags to as diapers for their mother. You know, so there's always somebody worse off. And there's always challenges that we're going that that are going to be thrust on us in life. However, it is up to us how we're going to perceive those challenges and how we're going to move forward with them. That is totally within our own personal control. Yeah. Oh, I agree, and I, I do agree. You know, our perceptions um, have a huge impact on our outcomes, and I, I, it's just amazing when you change your beliefs or what you think is possible. Um, or what you're looking for, you know, if you only believe in doom and gloom, you're going to find doom and gloom. But right. if you look for those moments of joy, and they might not be big and fancy anymore. Um, but what I found was, it was those subtle little remembrances that I still have of my mom, that were just really, really small, that that really um, are embedded in my heart. And I can have a really bad day and go to my YouTube channel and even watch some short videos of my mom and in her end stages interacting with music. And it melts my heart and and I, I just, I feel full again. And, um, you know, so I think we have to really look for those things and believe that we, we all can do better. And like you said, get out of this victim and this blaming. This is just, this is life and, and this is what we have. And so what path are we going to choose? You know, I, I talk about my tagline is kind of similar to yours. It's from shifting from crisis to comfort. And, you know, I tell people, you, you have the choice. This is, this is a choice. Right. You know, you're not going to get there. You're not just going to be beamed over to, to the happy side, you know, in the joyful moments. It's it's going to be a mixture of things. And and again, not beating yourself up when you when you don't do so great, but learn from it, right. um, knowing that you always have have another moment. 
Now, people can go to your website, which is the infinitemind.org. And then you also have a YouTube channel that we've posted. And if people want to email you, uh, your email is K and then D E L U I S A at yahoo.com. I think your book is, is just going to be amazing at changing people's perceptions and and giving them a broader view of what's possible and empowering people too. I, I think so often people think they don't have any control over this. And that is because we've been in this, um, I think we have this mentality of we have to fix something instead of support it. Right. And, and there isn't a true fix. You know, there are things that we can support and we can make quality of life not only better for them, but but for the rest of us as well. And we can really lead by example. And just by having these open conversations, just listening to the show, um, you might not, you know, believe and, and um, align with everything that was said, but I'm sure there's a nugget or two that you can take away. And so, you know, we have to learn not to discount the whole track of information, but to, you know, look for those nuggets and, you know, with your book, I, I think people are going to find it fascinating the way that you have designed it to really explain how the mind works and and what the effects are and you know what we can do uh, to make to make life better. Because again, you know, we have to remember this: we could be the next one diagnosed. Right. This is this is a very very common problem, and though. It's not normal aging. It is a new normal for our world to be dealing with this. And we have to accept that. And we have to do better, all of us. So thank you so much um, for your time, for your work. I'm, I'm so thrilled that we connected. You know, I would love for you to be part of Dementia Map and get your book listed on there and your organization. I think you know, that would be another way for people to be able to connect with you as well. And you said you do have a Facebook group too? Well, I have a Facebook group called the Infinite Mind Group. I have also created a, a Costa Rica Dementia Emergency Services for, for tourists and, and people, expats living here um, that are having problems with dementia. I mean, we've had tourists lost in the jungle who came down with their loved one who had dementia and they just wandered off and got lost. This has actually happened. So in wrapping up, I just want to tell everybody, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. And um, please like, click and share. Don't keep um, all of these ideas to yourself. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Way Showers who will help your journey go a lot easier.